Okay, here we are. We, uh, we're going to be right back in the book of Colossians, as usual, once a month. In Paul's letter, we're picking up where we left off. In chapter 3 of Colossians, our text this morning is going to be verses 20 through 21. And, uh, you know, I have, a, uh, I have a new Bible. My other one was, like, falling apart. I had it for, I think it was like 10 years. It started peeling off and all this stuff, so I finally got one. So I don't know if the page numbers match. This one's actually leather. They match. Okay, so page 1094 if you're using one of those blue Bibles we provide. I forgot to check that. Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 is our text. And if you weren't here last time, we started basically a, you could say it's a mini-series within this letter, moving along in this section of the text. Uh, that's, all of this falls under one title. I called it Heavenly Priorities and Earthly Relationships. So last time is part one, this time is part two. So if we weren't here last time, go ahead and refer to the sermon that's online, covering verses 18 and 19. So here we are, verses 20 and 21. This is, this is part of the household code section, the household code section, uh, which runs from verses 18 of chapter 3 all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. See, that tells you something about chapter divisions in our Bibles. They decided to cut it off just right before it was done, so make some interesting decisions there. But the household code, household code from chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 1. And as I said last time, we covered verses 18 and 19, in which Paul addressed the most integral relationship in the home and gave the Lord's instruction to wives and husbands. That's the, the central relationship in the home. As goes the marriage, so goes the home. And so we saw his instructions to husbands and wives. And now in verses 20 through 21, Paul gives the Lord's instruction to children and parents. Children and parents. So just as a heads up, this is not a sermon on parenting. It's not a sermon on parenting. Rather, it is a sermon on the relationship between parents and children and priorities they are to maintain in their relationship, hence the title. I have previously preached specifically on the subject of parenting back when we were going through the book of Proverbs together, if you remember that. If you're interested in listening to that, it's available online and also on our podcast. The title of the sermon is Parenting Matters. Parenting Matters. And I preached it on July 31st, 2016. It's a long time ago, like two years ago. Parenting Matters, July 31st, 2016. You can look it up that way. I would say give it a listen if you're able to, because it'd be a good supplement to what we're going to cover this morning. Now, with regard to our text here in Colossians, as I made similar mention last time, while this instruction is directed specifically to children and parents. It is not just for them to hear and understand. It is also for those of you who are no longer under the authority of your parents, and for those of you who are not yet parents, and for those of you whose children have grown up and moved out of your house, finally. It's for all of us. Because this instruction illuminates for all of us the Lord's will 
concerning the parent-child relationship in the home. And as Christians, we're called to understand what his will is, and our thinking is to be conformed to his so that we might not be foolish but wise, and so that we might accurately communicate his will to others. So we ought to represent Christ and his will, his truth, speak to these things. We need to know them, even if we are not directly in that situation or circumstance. We need to know what he said about these things. So here is the will of the Lord, starting in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Thought there'd be all these amens and everything, like resounding out and like, Lord, this Lord's will. So that's for children, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So there's a hierarchy in all three of the household relationships that Paul addresses in this section. And in each case, he, he first addresses those who are under authority, and then he addresses those who are in the position of authority in that relationship. So as the wife is under the authority of her husband, which we looked at last time in verses 18 and 19, so children are under the authority of their parents. Therefore, Paul speaks to the children first. And before we go further, it's important to clarify that, or it's important to clarify who falls under the children category. So when we say children, we're usually thinking we little ones. Uh, we with two e's, like we tiny little ones. Not anyway. <laughs> Words don't always work. Um, but who's in this children category? The word Paul uses that is translated as child here is a general term that does not necessarily have any particular age range in mind. There are other words that Paul could have used if he wanted to refer specifically to children 12 years old and under, which we would refer to as young children or little children. However, Paul uses the general term for child, which refers primarily to the relationship rather than the age. The relationship rather than the age. And again, our, our term children, we do talk about adult children. I mean, adult son, adult daughter, we say adult children. So it refers to the relationship rather than the age. There's not a specific age range here. So who are the children Paul's addressing here in Colossians? Well, he's addressing all those who are a part of their parents' household. It's a household code. If they are in their parents' household, they are in this category, under the authority of their parents, in their parents' household. Kind of goes without saying, but kind of not in this, uh, these current times, right? So he's addressing all who are a part of their parents' household, that is, all who are living under their parents' roof, and therefore are under their care and protection and authority. The parents whose household you are born into or adopted into are in a position of authority over you and have the responsibility to care for you, to train you towards maturity, and to instruct you in the way of the Lord until the time comes for you to move out from under their roof in order that you may start a household 
of your own. And I am saying you a lot because I know that we have those who are in this category, right? So if you are, and typically in our, you know, we're used to up to 18 year, years old, right? You're, you're, you're a teenager, but you're still the children of your parents under their authority. So you understand what I'm saying. So I know that we have our junior high and senior high uh, sitting in the service now. So I'm, I'm speaking directly to you. This word is directly for you, but also, as I said, for all of us to know the will of, Lord, of the Lord in this matter. So until the time comes that you move out from under your parents' authority to start a household of your own, you're under the authority of your parents. Now, the way you and your parents relate to one another will change as you continue to grow and move from one stage of maturity to the next. Right? We get that. We don't relate to our two-year-old the same as our seven-year-old, the same as our 12-year-old or our 17-year-old. That relationship grows and evolves appropriately with these different stages of maturity. So the way parents and children relate to one another will change going from one stage to the next of maturity. But as children, as, a, as, your, as their son or as their daughter, you remain under their authority until you move out and establish your own household. So here's the Lord's command for children, young and old. So again, I don't think it doesn't apply to you if you're 19, you're still at home. It's will to all sons and daughters, sons and daughters still at home. Here's the Lord's command. Obey your parents. Obey your parents. That is, listen to their instruction. Carry out the things they tell you to do. And follow their rules. According to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is to be the top priority in a child's relationship with his or her parents. Certainly, for the one who is a Christian, top priority. To what extent are children to obey their parents? Well, to the same, to the same extent, Scripture says that wives are to submit to their husbands, which we just covered, right? We just saw that in verses 18 through 19. It's to the same extent that wives are to submit to their husbands. Also, to the same extent, Scripture says that the church is to submit to Christ, that Christians are to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that extent? It's in everything. Everything. Everything in the Greek means everything. Since my notes right here. That's right. That's some solid exegesis right there. Everything means everything. Children, your, your obedience to your parents is not limited to a certain time of day or to a certain location or to certain activities. There's not an area of your life that is independent of your parents' authority. Therefore, their instruction, their commands, their rules are to be heeded at all times and in all places. The only time it would be acceptable for you to disobey your parents or any authority for that matter is if they were to, commanding you to sin in some way, in which case you must obey God instead of them. But aside from that one exception, it kind of goes without saying, right? If, if you're being commanded to sin against God, you, you submit to the higher authority, the highest authority, which is 
which is God, who is God, right? But that's the one exception where we are to not obey if we're given a command. And that's with anybody under authority, under any earthly authority, with children under their parents as well. Aside from that one exception, God commands children to obey their parents in everything. Now, for you, uh, who, you who are youth, or still in your parents' household, what if your parents ask you, ask, uh, what if what they ask of you is difficult? What if it's difficult? Come on. What if it's unpleasant? What if it's kind of inconvenient? What if it's seemingly unreasonable or seemingly unimportant? Is this really a big deal? So we have all those circumstances. What's the answer? What's the Lord's will? That you obey them. Obey them. Right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. It's a good saying for your kids to learn. My girls like to shorten it. Right away, all the way, happy heart. It helps them. Because, right, I mean, obedience means obedience. It's not partial. It's total. It's not, eh, you know, I'll think about it. Let me get back to you on that. You know, it's, it's immediate. And, and it, it's joyful. It's not like, okay, dad. You know, it's, 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 it's a, willing, a willing obedience. And again, it's the same kind of obedience we're to render to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the, the kind that pleases him. So, why? Why should children obey their parents and everything? That is the question, isn't it? One that my oldest daughter, who's now five, full disclosure here, really loves that. She's in that trend of asking, why? Why? You know, uh, that it really trains us to actually explain things. You know, it's good. It's good, it's good for us. It's good for our growth to answer the why question. But that's what we're going to do right here, right? Say, because thus saith the Lord. Done. Let's close in prayer. That is sufficient, right? You see it in the word. It's clear. We can't get around it. Obey your parents and everything, children. It's the will of the Lord. Let's think about why they're being asked to do this. I mean, after all, your parents aren't perfect. Got any perfect parents in here? Love to meet you. Start it. Oh, Someone's going to have to get some counseling, brother. <laughs> no perfect parents, right? No perfect parents. Children, your parents are not perfect. They are sinners like you. They are flawed. They have weaknesses. They don't always do what they ought to do. So why ought you to obey them in everything? And Paul really gives the answer. Right? In the next half of verse 20. What does he say? For this pleases the Lord. Pleases the Lord. Obedience to one's parents is pleasing to the Lord. It is, it is a good thing in his eyes. Paul wrote in his letter to the Christians at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice that here in Colossians, Paul doesn't give any other reasoning for children to be obeying their parents other than the fact that it is pleasing to the Lord. 
Because this reasoning alone is sufficient. It's sufficient. In fact, not only is it sufficient, but it's, it is the most important reason why children ought to obey their parents in everything. So, sons and daughters in your parents' household, there's no easy way to... You know who I'm talking to, right? You're under your parents' authority. You shouldn't obey your parents simply to avoid the negative consequences that come with disobedience. Nor should you obey your parents simply to obtain some kind of reward. But the laundry way, how about that cookie? Huh? I mean, hey, incentive's good, but that shouldn't be like the driving motivation. What am I going to get out of this? Let's see, how can I manipulate mom and dad to do something for me? I know they like those chores getting done. So that shouldn't be your primary motivation. Certainly in a general sense, it's, it will go well with you when you choose to obey your parents. At least it will go better than it would if you chose to disobey them instead. But the main reason you ought to obey them is because it pleases the Lord. Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is a basic Christian principle here, being applied in the home. And what is Christ commanded of those of you who are living under the authority of your parents? What is he commanded of you? That you obey them in everything. This is what living in a manner worthy of the Lord looks like during the early stage of your life. And what is a what is a, a sold-out follower of Jesus look like when he's a teenager? He's obeying his parents in everything. Yeah. Say that at a youth rally, get them all riled up. <laughs> right? I mean, usually what's tapped into is like, you can change the world. For Christ, and it's, it's kind of, you know, and the reality is, is God can accomplish great things through his people, absolutely. And you should think bigger about this world than the world wants you to think of it, or the way you're conditioned to think about it. Um, but you really want to live for Jesus if you were a father of Christ in your youth. I mean, the priority, a priority for you would be to please him by, by obeying your parents, Submitting to their authority. And let me just add that obeying your parents is also the primary way you demonstrate your love for them. It's the primary way you demonstrate your love for them. We can't forget that. So you who are young, you who are under your parents' authority, don't just hug your parents. Listen to them. I mean, I'm a fan of hugs from my daughters, but they're much sweeter when they're listening as well, rather than the opposite, not listening, defiance, and, oh, but I love you. It's not the same. It's just not right. Don't just tell your parents that you love them. Show them that you love them by your willing and joyful obedience. This is right and good and pleasing to the Lord. And again, as I'm looking around, I'm, I'm trying to look for our youth and everything. I don't want to focus on just a couple to make them, you think I'm only talking about you. <laughs> and if I'm looking at you adults, hey, I'm not thinking, you know, you're a child. I just, I'm looking. 
I should have, I should have worked this out before I even started, then I'd know where to put these eyes. But like I said, it's for all of us. Before we move on, I want to remind you parents, though, I want to remind you of how critical your relationship to one another as husband and wife is to your relationship with your children. Remember the Lord's commands to you in verses 18 and 19. I'm using the NET up here uh, because of the verse 19, I think, is translated uh, just in a better way. But here's the commandment. Wives, submit to your husbands. Be submitting to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, be loving your wives and do not be embittered against them. So parents, your, your obedience to the Lord and what he's called you to do, what he's called you to do, will encourage your children towards obedience to the Lord and what he's called them to do. Your marriage relationship should have a, a positive influence, a sanctifying influence on your children's relationship with you. And it will if you who are wives are submitting to your husbands, and if you husbands are loving your wives, if you're maintaining those priorities given to you from the Lord. However, if you are neglecting those priorities in your marriage relationship, then you are setting a bad example for your children, and you're influencing them towards disobedience. Children will be more inclined to disobey dad if mom is not submitting to him. I mean, if she disregards his authority and challenges his leadership in the home and questions his decisions, why wouldn't they? Likewise, children will be more inclined to disobey mom if dad is not loving her. Again, loving her with a godly love. Sacrificial, caring commitment. Seeks the high, her highest good. Right? Again, not just a gotcha flowers, honey, but again, this, this continual, sacrificial, selfless kind of love, service. Children will be more inclined to disobey mom if dad is not loving her. If he shows a lack of concern for her needs and her interests and thus belittles her, why would they value her and think they ought to listen to her? So your marriage relationship sets the tone for your children's relationship with you. So let it be the right one. Obey the Lord's will for you. Now, let's look at verse 21, where Paul gives instruction to the parents who are in the position of authority over their children. Now you'll notice... Paul uses the word fathers here instead of parents, right? I mean, he just said children obey your parents, but he doesn't use the exact same word. He actually uses the word that means fathers, hence the translation. So he doesn't say parents here. He says fathers. What this doesn't mean is that this exhortation is only for them and not for the mothers. So moms are still on the hook. What it does mean is that this exhortation is primarily directed towards the fathers. And this was certainly an appropriate emphasis because according to Roman family law, 
Back in those days, fathers possessed virtually unlimited power over their children, which isn't the case today. I mean, we do have laws, actually, that would protect them from certain things they were not protected from back in those times. So the father in those days had virtually unlimited power over the children. So it's an appropriate emphasis. However, what we'll see here in Paul's command to fathers is that this is not the case in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord hasn't granted you unlimited power over your children, unaccountable authority, if you will. The power of fathers over their children is not unlimited. According to the Lord, their power is to be kept under the restraints of love. Obviously, it's kept under his authority, under the Lord's authority, but, but in the home, as the head of the household, as the father, your authority, your power is to be kept under the restraint of love. So verse 21, here's the exhortation. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So parents, especially fathers, are to exercise their authority over their children in love. And this means that they are to exercise restraint and self-control so that they themselves do not become a stumbling block to their children's obedience. That's the idea here. Lord's command in verse 20 is that children are to be obeying their parents in everything. And here in verse 21, the Lord's command is that parents are not to make this needlessly more difficult for their children to do, especially us fathers. And actually, if you look at the commands to the the relationships in the the household, if we remember what he, he spoke to wives first, this call to submission, but then he tells the husbands, be loving your wives. Don't make this difficult for them. So now, same thing with children. Obey your parents and everything, but parents, especially you dads, don't be provoking them lest they become discouraged in this. So notice that the command for parents here is a prohibition. It is a negative command. It is telling the parents what they are not to be doing. They are not to be provoking their children And that's it. He doesn't give any other instruction to them. He tells them what you are not to be doing. This obviously doesn't mean that they don't have any other responsibilities towards their children. I didn't provoke them. Good. Success. I just left the house, never came back. You know, it wouldn't be that, right? Wouldn't be that. This is, again, hence the title, right? We're talking about priorities, priorities. And it's interesting, right? The priority for the parents towards their children, especially the fathers, is what you are not to do. Make sure you're not doing this thing, provoking them, provoking them. Now, again, we think about the, the responsibility of parents under the Lord, you know, according to God's design, the divine mandate for parents is that they be training up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which Paul states in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, which we had referred to just recently. However, even when we look at what he wrote there, 
in that other letter, we see that the first thing he commands of parents is virtually the same thing he commands of them here in Colossians. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, he turns to the parents, particularly the fathers. Fathers, he says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's your positive command right there, which you are to be doing. But again, same emphasis, the very first thing he wants to tell them. Do not be provoking your children. Do not provoke them to anger. So parents, it's, it's certainly your great privilege and responsibility to be training your children towards godliness. That's a privilege in order that they might learn to fear the Lord and walk in his ways. I mean, that's the goal. But if you are to succeed in this most important task that the Lord has entrusted you with, then you must make it a top priority of yours to refrain from provoking your children. You want to succeed in what he's called you to do, then you make it a priority to not be provoking your children. Here's what the Greek word translated as provoke means. It means to cause someone to react in a way that suggests their acceptance of a challenge. To react, causing them to react in a way that suggests their acceptance of a challenge. Okay. Accepting the challenge. It's to persistently press or prick or push them to the points that they are roused to anger. So listen, parents, our our children are natural-born sinners. Natural-born sinners, they are predisposed to challenging authority. And the first authority they encounter in this world is ours. We are the first authority figure they encounter. They already have a, a natural bent towards rebellion. What we mustn't do is needlessly stir up that rebelliousness even more. Like I said, needlessly stir it up. Folly is already bound up in their hearts. They are in bondage to sin, and thus they are driven by their own sinful passions. When they act accordingly, it should be in spite of our treatment of them, not because of it. You get the difference? There's a difference. I mean, they will rage against authority. That'll come out in different ways, but it shouldn't be because we've been pushing them, pushing them, provoking them to challenge them. Come on. Essentially, it's it's almost presenting them with a challenge and daring them to accept that. The task we've been entrusted with is to shepherd their hearts, and we are to be, as a professor of mine back when I was in seminary said, we are to be gentle shepherds, not German shepherds. It's good, right? Memorable. We're to be gentle shepherds, not German shepherds. We are to guide our, children's, our, our children towards wisdom and away from folly, towards righteousness and away from sin, towards submission to authority and away from rebellion against authority, so that they might ultimately taste and see that the Lord is good and by his grace become worshipers of him. We have that task. Provoking our children undermines this task. It undermines it. It undercuts our efforts. 
Paul warns in the second half of verse 21 what provoking our children leads to and therefore why we must refrain from doing it. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest what? Lest they become discouraged. And again, I don't don't think you, you don't think of, when you're sitting down as a parent, you don't think, yeah, I want to discourage my children. I'd really like to discourage them today. I don't think you think that. But the reality is, is that is the effect of provoking them, of not having a restraint on how you relate to them, how you, how you deal with their disobedience, or maybe even, not even that, just how you relate to them. But he says, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Become discouraged is a translation of the Greek verb, is, is Greek verb athumeo, which means to become disheartened or dispirited to the point of losing motivation. I mean, it's like basically taking the heart out of someone, taking the spirit out of someone, the, the strength, the enthusiasm. That's the, the meaning, to become disheartened to the point of losing motivation. So in this case, it would be a loss of motivation to be obedient to you, their parents, and thus a loss of motivation to please the Lord in this way. Habitual provocation from parents. And again, think about this too, the call to obedience you know, for children or to not, for parents not to be provoking their children. We're looking at patterns here. Habits. Again, we will fail at times, but what we mustn't be doing is having these be a pattern. And certainly, yeah, we want to avoid all those times, but we know that we do stumble in those ways. But, but what Paul's warning of is that habitual provocation Habitual provocation from parents will cause children to lose heart, to be drained of enthusiasm, to be weakened in spirit, and to be demoralized. That's not the effect you want to have on your children. One commentator says this very eloquently, parents must be tender And you see why the primary command is given to fathers, right? Because we need to work a little more at tenderness. God has built into women um, a level of tenderness that's unparalleled in men. Uh, And that's by his design, the the affection and nurturing care of a mother. But it's complemented by the the father and the way he's, he's wired us. But parents, fathers and mothers, must be tender. Let not your authority over your children be exercised with rigor and severity, but with kindness and gentleness, lest you raise their passions and discourage them in their duty. And by holding the reins too tight, make them fly out with greater fierceness. The bad temper and example of imprudent parents often prove a great hindrance to their children and a stumbling block in their way, end quote. So you should be a help to your children in what the Lord has called them to do, not a hindrance. Be a help, not a hindrance. In contrast to provoking them, we ought to be leading them in love, shepherding them in love, parenting them in love. 
And as much as our children ought to be obeying us, we ought to be acting towards them with love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Scripture says against such things there is no law because there is to be no restriction or restraint upon them, upon your love, upon your kindness, upon your patience and your gentleness. These are the qualities of godliness. By the way, this does not mean that we don't correct and rebuke and discipline our children. Proverbs 13, 24, chapter 13, verse 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That's really important to keep in mind, especially in our current generation, our current culture. Thinking that corporal punishment, discipline, physical discipline is somehow abusive or wrong. It's not. And actually withholding it. An unwillingness to do actually the hard thing of disciplining them according to God's instructions, according to his guidance, appropriately in a timely way, um, in love. That's the hard thing to do. But withholding that, Scripture makes the point that that's actually not loving. It's not loving to do that. So part of acting lovingly towards our children is correcting, rebuking, and disciplining them appropriately and as needed. That's the key, right? Appropriately and as needed for their good. That is, as part of their training towards godliness. Not just as retribution for defying me. It should be instructive, constructive. However, our our correction, rebuke, and discipline must be tempered with love, right? Must be tempered with love. Remember that part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, which is the quality of restraining your emotions, impulses, and desires. That's fruit of the Spirit. Self-control, restrain those emotions, impulses, and desires. And again, as we said before, your children were not born into this world with a readiness to listen to you and obey you. Here I am, mom, dad. They wouldn't talk that early, but tell me what to do. I'm ready to obey. Live under your authority. They're not born in the world with a readiness to listen and obey you. Quite the opposite, actually. With hearts bent towards rebellion, and you are their first match. (laughs) A baby, you know, they can't talk, but man, I'm glad we can't read their thoughts. Again, like I said, that's why God makes them cute. Makes them cute, so I'm like, okay, it softens us. <laughs> softens us, right? So, they, I mean, essentially, natural-born rebels see you as their first match. Now, because you're also a sinner, when they act out their fallen nature towards you, right, see, it's in the heart, I act out towards you. When they act out their fallen nature towards you, you're going to have some emotions and impulses and desires of your own. 
These must be restrained, right? Restrained. If we lose sight of the fact that we are to be shepherding our children's hearts and leading them by example, then we will likely be acting as if we were in a showdown with them. You can hear the music now, can't you? And, again, if we lose sight of what we're called to do, shepherding their hearts, we'll be, we will be tending towards provoking them rather than giving them guidance and much-needed grace along the way. Got to remember your calling. We've got to remember our calling. What has God called us to do? What is our role in his plan in the home? So parents, if we are to relate to our children and raise them in a manner worthy of the Lord, Scripture says we must not be provoking them, lest they be disheartened to the point of losing motivation. For some examples here, again, we think we might limit this too much. I don't think I provoke them. Maybe we're, we might be a little too generous here to ourselves. So let's think this through. We must not be provoking them by having such strict rules about everything that they don't have freedom in anything, lest we not only communicate to them that we don't trust them at all, but also that we are not willing to let them have the freedom to make mistakes and learn from them. We must not be provoking our children by showing favoritism to any of their siblings, lest we make them feel unwanted. We must not be provoking our children by treating them like second-class citizens, inferior beings, lest we give them the impression that they are insignificant and that what they think and feel and say and do is unimportant. They bear the image of God. We must not be provoking our children by placing unreasonable demands upon them, truly unreasonable, right? So when I was talking about children obeying your parents, if it, it seems unreasonable to you, we're like, I think everything to you seems unreasonable, right? <laughs> but we're talking about legitimate, I mean, if you had a, you know, witnesses coming in, you're like, that is totally unreasonable, dude. Why are you telling them to do that? So we must not be provoking them by placing unreasonable demands upon them or setting unrealistic goals for them, truly unrealistic goals for them, lest we overwhelm them with such high expectations that they always feel like they've failed and thus give up on trying to excel in anything, including obedience to you. We must not be provoking our children by excessively criticizing them, lest we communicate to them that we are always going to pounce on them for their faults and flaws and failures instead of praise them for their merits and strengths and successes. We must not be provoking our children by disciplining them excessively, lest grace becomes a completely foreign concept to them. And we must not be provoking our children by subjecting them to any kind of verbal, emotional, and or physical abuse, lest we make them think that we despise them and drive them away. Remember, the way we treat them, if it is so oppressive, they will fly out with greater fierceness. That's not the kind of relationship we want with our children. Escaping a self-serving tyrant. Rather, having a hard time saying goodbye to such a benevolent ruler in the home and wanting to come back because it's a, it's a refuge. There's joy and peace there. 
under godly parents. So what are the heavenly priorities we're called to maintain in the parent-child relationship? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Parents, especially you fathers, don't make this burdensome for your children. Don't be provoking them, lest they become discouraged. Instead, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, meekness, patience, and above all, love, as we read earlier in chapter 3 in Colossians. Clothe yourselves with with these Christ-like qualities so that your children may have a refuge under your care and so that your yoke upon them may be easy as they learn from you. And to all parents and children, this is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, what we just read here. Make it your aim to bring glory to his name in the way that you relate to one another and give each other grace, show each other grace, right? Pray for one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, your wisdom, giving us instruction and guidance for life in this fallen world. Instruction to us as sinners whom you have graciously and mercifully redeemed, but who still struggle with with the desires of our own flesh that pull us away from doing things rightly, according to your will, things that are good and pleasing to you. We pray that you would, having equipped us with the truth of your word, by your spirit, you would empower us and, and compel us to walk in a manner worthy of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we, we pray that we would, we would glorify your name, that we would walk in a manner worthy of you in all areas of our, our life and, and really think through areas that we might have been neglecting that you've called our attention to. As this morning, we're thinking of the home, our home life, our, what we think is our private life, but it's not private to you. It's, it's before your eyes. May we be striving to please you in this area. Help, help those who are children under their parents' authority still. Help them to, to see the, the goodness in submitting to their parents and obeying them in everything. And may their motivation be to please you. I pray for our, our dear young brothers and sisters who, who, whom you have graciously saved, that they would see that this is a way they are to live out their profession of faith and express their devotion to you by obeying their parents. And I pray for, for those who have just seen it as such a, a burden and find it so hard to submit to authority that they might examine themselves, their own hearts, and maybe realize that it's because they are still in bondage to their sin. Pray that they would call out to you for salvation, that you would give them a new heart, that they might bear fruit in keeping with repentance and faith in you. And Lord, we, we pray for all of our parents, we, us who are parents. Uh, it, is, it is such a, a, a noble task, but a, a heavy task, an important task. And I pray that you would keep everyone from, keep us all from the, the sin of perfectionism, thinking that we can even be perfect in these things you called us to do and take our eyes off the fact that we are standing in your grace and relying on your power, your enablement. And I pray that we would all pursue obedience 
knowing that uh, we are not perfect, and, and, but ultimately just pursue it, with the, pursue it with the right motivations to please you, to honor you. May we all help each other in this. May we all be an encouragement to one another, knowing that we're all in different stages of life, but we know that those who have gone before us may have words of wisdom to help us along. May we be attentive to that and help us as a church body to, have, to raise up families um, that are reflective of your wisdom and your righteousness. We pray for our blessing on, on the homes that make up this congregation, and we thank you for it. All these things we ask in your name. Amen.